Hi, welcome to Pacific Northwest Coffee and Conversation, a bi-weekly podcast where we speak with leaders in the Pacific Northwest fighting hate and advancing social justice. I'm Mary Cypers, Regional Director at ADL Pacific Northwest. In this episode, I have the joy of speaking with Representative Tara Simmons of Washington State. Welcome, Representative Simmons, to today's show. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Representative Simmons. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Of course. So diving right in, before we get to know Representative Simmons, Tara, the civil rights advocate and lawmaker, I'd love for our listeners to get to know about you personally. You have such an interesting story. Can you tell us more about your early life and what it was like growing up in Bremerton, Washington? Yeah. So I moved to Bremerton when I was nine, but I went between my mother and father throughout my childhood. And uh, you know, my father lived in California. My mom lived in Washington. And it was really a difficult childhood. I have an adverse childhood experience score of 10. Both of my parents were addicted to drugs and alcohol, and we lived in extreme poverty. And when I was with my father in California, I lived in a lot of violence and was abused in every way possible, starting at a very young age. So when I lived in Bremerton, I, at 13 years old, I was in foster care system in juvenile detention and became homeless just because trying to escape the abuse of my family, it seemed safer to live on the streets. And during those times I was trafficked and I got pregnant with my first son at 14 years old. Wow. So life was, you know, pretty difficult growing up as a child. And it's definitely formed the perspective I bring to the legislature today. And that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. I'm sorry to make you rehash things that are difficult, but I can imagine how much some of the adversity and experiences that you had as a young person inform the leader you are today and how you make decisions and the insights that you bring to your position. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you've spoken really honestly and boldly about serving time in prison around 2011 as a result of several felony convictions. How did that experience shape you as a person and and shape your journey towards law school and eventually serving as the director of civil survival, which we'd love to hear more about? So when I went to prison was the first time I really realized that everybody else in prison too had this traumatic upbringing and that we weren't bad people. This is the behaviors we learned from our families of origin, from our community, being on the streets. And a lot of us self-medicated with drugs and alcohol to kind of cope with the, the trauma of our childhood. And so in some ways, it was also the first time I was ever exposed to 12-step anonymous programs and volunteers came into the prison and shared their experience, their experiences, strength and hope. And that they had found recovery and that they were dealing with the trauma. So in some ways it was helpful to be connected to a community of other people where I had spent so many years of my life thinking that I was alone and nobody else could kind of understand the background that I came from and that it wasn't that I didn't want to in my heart do good. It was that I was suffering. And so that experience being in prison and meeting people really shaped my work and gave me the strength and resilience because I found a community of other people who are also really good hearted people and made mistakes and never really had a first chance at life. And so all of that is what fueled me to go to law school and become the founder of the Civil Survival Project, where 
We are a formerly incarcerated, led, and staffed organization that's doing civil rights advocacy and legal services for people reentering from incarceration. And so it's been, I guess sometimes our deepest pain can give us a purpose. And I feel like my lived experiences gave me the purpose and the drive to go to law school, graduate, and create the Civil Survival Project. It's such an incredible journey. And as if it wasn't enough to give back to the community in that way, was there any specific moment when you realized that serving in the legislature was something that you wanted to do? Or do you think it was the culmination of many years of experience and advocacy with civil survival? Well, it definitely was the culmination of a lot of experiences and advocacy with civil survival. And I never imagined that I would be an elected official ever in my life. I never imagined I'd be a lawyer either, but elected official just seemed so far out there. And for me, it was also after I really was open and transparent about my incarceration history, because I felt that we needed more people to not hide in shame and to remove the stigma to lead with my story. I felt like if I didn't run who else ever would? I had already had so much attention on my story because of my Supreme Court fight to become a lawyer. And I really wanted to break the concrete ceiling so others could also see themselves running for office, no matter what background you come from. And it was also the culmination of my representative retiring and mentoring me and asking me to be her successor because we shared the same values. And she had also worked a lot on criminal justice reform for her entire career. So it was a lot of different things that came together that inspired me to run. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Supreme Court fight that you had to undergo to serve as an attorney eventually? Yeah. So whenever somebody graduates from law school, every applicant has to go through the character and fitness board hearing or board process. And if there's things in your background that give the bar association red flags, they'll put you through this hearing before volunteer lawyers that make the decision whether you have the character and fitness to become a lawyer. And I always knew when I started law school, like this was going to be a barrier I'd have to overcome. But I worked really, really hard for many years during law school to position myself to a place where I really thought that I would be granted admission without a problem. And that was because my dear friend, John Hopwood, had graduated two years before me and had actually served 12 years in federal prison for five armed bank robberies. And he got admitted to the Washington State Bar Association. And so did my other friend, Cleo Floyd, who had 65 felony convictions for racketeering and financial crimes. And so I never thought that I would be denied, especially if I had much more support than both of them did together. Letters from judges and prosecutors And so when they, you know, I went before the character and fitness board a month before graduation and six to three uh, was the decision to not allow me to sit for the bar exam. And I was devastated. And at that time, we had not seen, you know, a Supreme Court opinion for 30 years on the issue of bar admission. And we didn't, there was no clear rules on how to get the Supreme Court to take this up on appeal. But fortunately, I had created such a wonderful network that we came together, appealed to the state Supreme Court, and Sean Hopwood actually represented me in that hearing. And, you know, usually it takes four or five months for the Supreme Court to issue an opinion, but they were so upset about my case that by the end of the day, on the day of the hearing, unanimously, they 
denied the Washington State Bar Association's recommendation and allowed me to take the next bar exam and become an attorney. Wow, what an incredible journey. And so, I don't know, so fortunate for you to unlock the kind of opportunities that you were able to seize because of your advocacy in the law field and and what you're continuing to do in the legislature. And now that you are serving in the legislature and, and successfully are serving as a representative, how was the experience serving in Olympia for your first term in office? I know that it was such a strange time to be serving because of COVID and the pandemic and how it's been impacting our ability to be in person, passing laws and advocating and meeting with representatives. But I'd love to learn more about your first term and and how that was for you. And if there are any specific moments that really stood out for you. Yeah, absolutely. I will say it was difficult being on Zoom and I do miss the opportunity I would have in person to just feel that experience and, and meet and, and bond more with my colleagues and with stakeholders. But We've done the best we can while maintaining safety in COVID. And there's definitely many moments that were really stood out for me. Definitely the the first time I testified or introduced my bill and my first bill that got passed, which was House Bill 1078 um, regarding voting rights restoration for people as soon as they leave prison, testifying on that bill in both committees in the House and the Senate, and then seeing in obviously the floor speech and the floor uh, debate, and then, you know, watching the governor sign that it's one of the first bills signed of the entire session. It was just a, an incredible honor to shepherd that after my historic win and the perspective I bring that's never been represented in Olympia. So there's been lots of other moments through the first session. We had the Blake decision come down from the Supreme Court during session, which found that our felony drug possession statute was unconstitutional. And we did a lot of work to really move forward a more humane and treatment-oriented approach to people suffering with substance use disorder, as opposed to jail and incarceration. And voting on on the budget, I mean, the historic wins that we made through our budget for communities that have been left behind I say that this last session, I've been told it was historic. I believe it was historic as somebody who's worked around Olympia for many years before joining the legislature as a member. And I'm just really proud of the work we got done. And you mentioned before something that I want to go back to that you never imagined yourself as an elected official. And it's probably something that is so far-fetched, just kind of given some of the circumstances of your life and I would imagine there are a lot of other young people or even adults that could never imagine public service for themselves or maybe see it as some far away sort of distant entity that they could never be a part of. What kind of advice or I guess guidance would you give to people who care about the world and social issues and and civil rights, but might be reluctant to take that first step to kind of dip their toes into what it would mean to serve and be a leader in the community. I just want to say a lot of us suffer with imposter syndrome for all kinds of different reasons, our own identities, race, gender, LGBTQs, that all these different identities that we have. And then also our upbringings and the way society has made us feel to be ashamed of certain parts of our life. So the first step is to really lean into your own healing and 
see how beautiful you are and the gifts that you have for this world and really believe that in yourself and have mentors and people in your support network who, who will remind you of that when you need it. And then I would say talk with an elected official who you see as a role model and, and ask for some time to do an informational interview on their journey and how they got there. And depending upon where you want to serve, if you want to serve in the state legislature or the city council or a school board or Congress, try to find somebody who's served in those roles and get to know the actual technical pieces of running for office and how you can bring your much needed perspective to these important decisions that really create how we care for our communities. Yeah, that's amazing advice to think not only about the public service aspect of it, but the personal aspect of it and the importance of acknowledging and appreciating who we are and recognizing that our story is can be something really powerful and important to share with other people. In terms of the struggle for voting, which I know is obviously something near and dear to your heart and also just such a big and important issue in society and nationwide right now, how do you reconcile these two trends that are going on? It's just there's so much dissonance between Washington on the one hand, you shepherding this really important bill in the last session to expand voting rights to ensure that formerly incarcerated individuals can be able to vote. And then seeing all these really regressive and unfortunate policies being passed in a lot of other states that are directly impacting the ability of people and communities of color and marginalized groups to vote. How do you reconcile what's going on? And and are these issues that you think a lot about and take up headspace? Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, I, I just really feel that racism is alive and well in our country and that we are in a new civil rights movement and people that want to restrict the right to vote are wanting to restrict it for marginalized people. And it's because they feel threatened about losing power. And it's very difficult. And I do think about it often and just know that at the end of the day, no matter what you believe, if you believe in karma, a higher power, God, I get inspiration when I think about other times in our history where the light, the good has always won and it's been struggle. And I mean, we're still are making lots of progress. And I'm not saying everything is, we've won everything, but we've made progress over time. And what is it? The the moral arc of justice, wait, the arc of justice bends, justice bends towards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we're on that arc, right. And we're, we're keeping moving and we have to stay together. And the thing I can do today is just to treat my colleagues and people in my community with respect and love and you know, keeping us together strong so we can keep moving forward. And I know that bipartisanship is something that I think helped the law that you successfully led in the legislature pass. What are your thoughts on how we can, whether it's in our personal lives or elected officials or community leaders, be more intentional about reaching out across a political spectrum and trying to work across difference to make meaningful change? It's really hard. And I'm not going to say that I never make mistakes because sometimes in my 
anger and trauma, I get angry at people when I feel like their viewpoint is tied to oppression. But what I will say is that I do try to take responsibility for my part in this thing broke. And that is how I think I got a Republican co-sponsor on my bill. Although at the end of the day, he was a lone Republican that voted for it. Mm -hmm. I was really grateful for that experience of bipartisanship. And this morning, a Republican colleague in the legislature, you know, scheduled a meeting with me just for a meet and greet, just so we could get to know each other because we haven't been together in person. And I, I know every member in my caucus, but I don't know the Republican members. And, you know, when I, I talked to him and we acknowledge that we're not going to agree on every issue, but that we should try to disagree civilly and in this very partisan, political, divided environment right now, that we we should try to create some kind of connection on a human level. And I told him at the end of the meeting, and I was so grateful that he had reached out to me to try and get to know me and that I was going to pick a random Republican and schedule a meet and greet. And so I can do my part and and try to both hold true to my values, but also do it in a thoughtful and civil way when I disagree. But sometimes it's really painful when you feel that your disagreement is rooted in racism and a desire to continue kind of you know, white supremacy in our nation. Yeah, it is such a hard balance and such an an important issue and struggle that I know all of us need to be working on. Coming up for the 2022 legislative session, we're excited, we're gearing up. I know so many advocates are working hard behind the scenes to push forward important issues. What kind of bills and policies are you going to be working on and what are you excited to tackle? I know it's a short session. Yeah, yeah it is a, a short session and we just came off this historic session. And so I, I know we're a little bit restrained. I am going to continue working on reforming court fines and fees for people who have been convicted of a crime and, you know, saddling thousands of dollars on poor people is not the way we should be funding our court system because they can't pay it. And then the garnishment and the collection efforts are really impacting people's lives. And it's also tied to their ability to restore their civil rights and your civil rights shouldn't cost money. And so I'm continuing to work on that. I'm also working on housing issues, housing affordability and housing for people with criminal history. Also working on healthcare issues. I you know, live in Kitsap. I was a nurse at one point in my life and I am going to be having a couple of bills on affordability of healthcare and accessibility of healthcare. So just a variety of issues, also just trying to increase our behavioral health workforce so people have, you know, access to mental health and substance use disorder treatment and providers because I think at the root of a lot of our punishment system is untreated mental health and substance use disorder and the more we can help people, we can prevent incarceration. So I have a lot of things I'm working on. Ferries is a big issue for my district. (laughs) Transportation, making sure our ferries are running is top priority. So yeah. And I know since the murder of George Floyd, there has been such an important national reckoning and conversation about racism in America and our criminal justice system and just 
thinking about the issue of inequality and how it plays into the systems and impacts the daily lives of so many. And I wanted to know for our listeners who are really interested in learning more about the kinds of issues that you work on and that you're championing, like restoring voting rights for those who were incarcerated or making the criminal justice system more equitable or just civil rights in general. Is there anything that's been really important to you that maybe you've read or any, you know, authors or leaders that really inspire you that people might be able to look into more? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, I think does a really good job of explaining what we are fighting for and ending mass incarceration at a high level for people who are new to this work. I love Brian Stevenson, Just Mercy, and there's so many books, but those two, I, I kind of recommend to people as an intro. And you're always welcome to, you know, follow me on my legislative website and sign up for my newsletter. And I try to communicate with people as much as I can and send out newsletters every couple of weeks and things like that. So, but, you know, I'm not just doing criminal justice issues in the legislative role. People are always welcome to connect with Civil Survival Project as well. And we have a great team there who is really in the weeds on criminal justice issues. Absolutely. And I'd love to end on a hopeful note. Is there anything that's currently bringing you hope for a better world? Oh, yeah. You know, the thing that's bringing me hope for a better world right now is that as a caucus in the legislature and in my organization and in so many communications that I've, conversations I've been in, just seeing the conversation like change and now there's more shared analysis and understanding of racial equity and intersectionality and creating trauma-informed spaces. I'm seeing that work, you know, in both the legislature and my organization, we've been doing formal trainings on these topics, which in the legislature didn't happen until this last year. And look at my freshman class. It's full of amazing people. And now I'm noticing even just in other places that I go for discussions on criminal justice, the conversation is just really changing. And so I feel like we're making progress and people understanding and becoming more educated about the issues. And so that's what gives me hope today. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can see continued change. Thank you so much for being with us today. The really important work that you do for sharing your story. We're really appreciative of your time today and excited to work with you in the year to come in the legislature. Thank you. Thank you so much for all you do and for having me today. Take care.